I want you to turn to Luke 23, and uh, I'm going to begin a series here on Wednesday night, right up until Easter. I want to talk to you about the seven sayings of the cross. There are seven sayings of the cross. You ought to get to know them. You ought to know them by heart, actually. But tonight, if you don't, uh, feel free to take notes. Write these down. In Luke uh, chapter 23, beginning with verse 27, And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and cast lots. And the people stood beholding and the rulers also with them derided him saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar to drink. And saying, If thou be the Christ... If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription was also written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrews. This is the king of the Jews. The Holy Spirit took very, very special care to quote the seven sayings of Christ from the cross. Some say he may have quoted the entire 22nd Psalm. That would be a good Psalm for you to read too. Not a one of the four gospels give all of the seven sayings, so they're not found in order, but I, I wanna give you the order of the sayings tonight. And I've read to you the first saying from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second saying was to the thief, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The third saying, while Christ was hanging on the cross, he said to his mother, woman, behold thy son, and son, behold thy mother. The fourth, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me. The fifth was, I thirst. The sixth, it is that glorious saying, it is finished, it is accomplished. And then the seventh, into thy hands I commend my spirit. We're, we're getting close to Easter. 
So I will remind you of what took place during these next few weeks there on Calvary. The greatest fear I have in speaking on this subject is that of reducing them to doctrine or theology. These tremendous, awesome words of our Lord. I want you to, tonight, think about them. Think about them. Think about who said them. The Lord God. Jehovah Jireh. Think of where they were said at Calvary. Think of his condition when he said them in his agony and suffering and the accomplishment of our redemption. He spoke from the throne of Calvary. Think of the issues involved. You see, this is no theme for argument or debate. This is that hour about which he spoke when he said, my hour is not yet come. But now he says, my hour is come. This is the hour that was determined from all eternity when he was to bear his people's sin on the tree of the cross. Often I try to think, when I'm thinking of the cross, I try to think, I wonder what was the climate and atmosphere in heaven. As they all watched and looked over the banisters of that heavenly city, as Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, went to Calvary. Think of the issues that were involved when you think of the cross. Uh, this is no theme for argument or debate, so we won't get into that. What practical lessons is there uh, from the first saying of the cross? And this is the first saying. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine that? I probably would be cursing you if you were nailing me to a cross. There's no telling what I might say. But not our God, not our Savior. And, and by the way, just uh, a point here. Do you know that whoever he prayed for, he never prayed a prayer that wasn't answered. So whoever this is he was praying for, Father, forgive them. Whoever the them was, that prayer was answered. So, well, Pastor, it was everybody. No. No, it wasn't everybody. It was them. In fact, in John 17, he said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them, which thou hast given me out of the world. So in, his, in the first saying from the cross, he was praying for his elect. That means if you're a Christian, he prayed for you. Father, forgive them. And you know what? He never prayed a prayer that wasn't answered. Never prayed a prayer that God didn't answer. He was a perfect prayer. And always his prayers were answered. So what practical lessons that we might learn, first of all, from this first saying from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Well, we see in the text instruction concerning the church's work here on this earth. You and I are to be that concerned about other people. That's, that's the Christian life. Not a self-love, but a love 
a love for others. Christ came not to be ministered unto, unto, but to minister. Is that why you're here? I, I guarantee you that's why God saved you. Not to be ministered to, not to be an entitlement person, but to be a person who's ministering to other people. If you've been saved from crack or heroin, addiction, whatever, God has saved you out of you. It, it wasn't just for you. It was for other people. Maybe your mother, father, maybe your own children, husband. It was definitely for others. And God put you in this church to be a minister. You know, I so often hear, you know, everybody is not in love with this church. I, I, I would say everybody doesn't think that we will succeed here. And, and we are a bunch of nobodies. I mean, you look at us. But we are somebodies with our God. We are the very elect of God. We are the chosen of God. So his churches, when they understand their work, they too shall perceive that they're not here to gather to themselves wealth or honor or to seek any temporal grandeur, but we are here to unselfishly live and if need be die for the deliverance of the lost sheep the elect of God. Do you know, every day, more than likely, you meet up with somebody that God chose before the foundation of the world. You don't know it. They don't have a big E on their forehead, elect. You don't know who they are. But they're out there, and we are sent to find them. And the way you find the elect of God, the people of God, is... You're telling out the gospel. You're being kind and gentle and loving and caring and tender. Amen. And you know, one of the things I, I think about this now that I've had a few days of rest, I think about it every day since I've been home. I think we ought to be filling this auditorium. There's enough people around here that are lost and in their sin need to hear the gospel. You're friends. You know enough people. You know at least 20 people you could invite to come to service Sunday. And it might shock them. And it may shock you. They might come and hear the gospel. You don't know that. But I do know that it's our business to exist for the lost sons of men. Churches are not formed to maintain ministers. The church's business is not to provide recreational activity for us uh, to have a youth program, softball team, or whatever. We're here to seek. Now, you can use those things. I'm not, I'm not against the softball team. You guys ought to be thinking about it, and gals. I mean, we're getting near softball season, right? We can, we can have a softball team. But that's not our purpose, to, to have simply that we're after sheep, lost sheep. And God has lost sheep. This church structure was not built so that you and I might pass away our Sundays sitting comfortably in God's house, soaking up information. Simply not for that purpose. Because you don't come to church because you have nothing better to do. You come to church because you're excited about hearing the gospel. And who knows? You might get to witness Somebody being regenerated by the Spirit of God and brought to faith in Jesus Christ. What a glorious time we have together uh, occasionally here when 
35 people profess faith in Christ. What an awesome thing that is. A church which does not exist to seek the souls of men has no reason to justify its existence. If we're not seeking the souls of men here, you know, the Lord has converted us. I, I want to see people converted. I, and, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to hang out with religious people either. I'd like to, you know, while I was, I don't know whether I told this story Sunday but or not, but I'll tell it again. While I was down in um, Florida, you know, actually, there are a lot of wealthy people where we go. And so three or four of our major donors are there. Uh, and I'm talking about very wealthy people. I'm talking about multi-multi-millionaires. Um, but anyway, I went over to, uh, to visit one of our donors uh, by their, their pool and in their place where they live. There's a, a restaurant that has a bar in it. And this donor said, don't be shocked, just hang on to your seat. Yeah. Uh, this donor said to me, come on in, I want you to, let's go in the bar, I want you to meet some friends. You know what I did? I went in the bar. And I, uh, this guy says to me, uh, he was introducing me to his friends and said, uh, Kent, this friend of the donor said, so Kent, what do you do? I said, uh, well, I'm a pastor. You're you're a pastor? Uh, I was going to say, can I buy you a drink? I said, you can. I'll have a nice tea. <laughs> he said, a nice tea. You don't want any of this white lemonade? I looked at him and grinned and I said, I know that's vodka. That's not lemonade. <laughs> so, I mean, you'll get a little of that. But I could have been mighty pious about it. First of all, I'm not going in the bar. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go in the bar. Be, be careful. If you're on a diet, don't go near the bakery. <clears throat> if you have a problem with alcohol, you probably ought to stay away from it as much as, much, much as you can, right? So, I don't know why was I telling it. Oh! So, a, a lady and her boyfriend come in and... Uh, I began to chat with them and meet them, and um, this uh, lady said, uh, that, well, they told her, they said, uh, you know, Kent here, he, uh, he runs a, a homeless center. And she said, oh, you know, I once uh, kind of helped, uh, you know, in a mission work like that. She said, uh, I'm Jewish. And she looked right at me. She goes, they don't allow me here. And uh, said, I lived here once, but they put me out. And, and you know, I was swallowing that hook, line, and sinker. And I, I looked at Bill later on that day, and I said, did you guys really put her out of this place because she was Jewish? He goes, no, she was just pulling your leg. She is Jewish. He said, that's Barbara Walters' daughter. So I got, to, I got to have some influence on Walter's daughter. You don't know what kind of influence you'll have. I mean, my iced tea was probably a witness to something. Um, it was kind of different. 
But I wasn't. She was very friendly and very warm. And I've thought about her. I've prayed for her. The Lord could save her, you know. She also said to me, you know, we bought a place just down the road here, street here. Said uh, we paid three million dollars for it a few months ago. I mean, that's the kind of people. You know what I mean? That's down there. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just saying God has a people, and they are found everywhere. Not just on the streets. They can be in the bar drinking. Those guys in there were over a hundred million dollar people. Every one of them were worth over a hundred million dollars. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of money. But if you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. I mean, you can have all of the money in the world. Don't have joy and peace. So, live the exciting life. No matter who you meet, where you meet, somehow or another, you're going to be able to be a witness. And that's why God has converted you. That's, that's true. He's converted you to tell others. I obtain all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's true. So wherever you are, look for those opportunities. And remember this saying from the cross, Father, forgive them. You want to be like Jesus? I do. I really do. Be imitators of Christ. I read this a long time ago in my early ministry. What a shame many have brought upon Christianity. The world is asking, how is Christ a lamb when his followers are lions? How can the churches be doves when they scratch and smite like eagles? Very, very true saying. You ever been in a church fight? They're horrible. They're, they're, they're absolutely disgusting. We shouldn't be in fighting one another in here. There ought to be love and encouragement and, and, uh, and praise to our God. Remember out there in the world? You know, I've heard so many stories about this was back in the days when crack was uh, like the number one drug. But I, I've heard so many stories from uh, people who've come to the center who said, you know, I, I met this person at the crack house and I, I had money and they didn't. And they told me if I would give them the money, they'd go get us some crack. I gave them the money and they never came back. What a friend. <laughs> right? Total betrayal. Well, real quickly now, what do these words mean? They know not what they do. When Jesus said that, they know not what they do. It's here at Calvary that we see the blindness of the human heart. You think about how blind once you were. I once was blind, and now I see. You ever look back on your blindness in your addiction? How horrible. How horrible the blindness and the craziness of it. They were not ignorant of his crucifixion, but they were ignorant of the enormity of their crime. God in human flesh nailed to the cross. The worst sin that could ever be committed was not your using drugs. 
The worst sin that's ever been committed is when God invaded history and came down here to earth, we nailed him to the cross. We said, crucify him, crucify. We even paid people to say that in our grandfathers. Crucify him, say crucify him. Remember, have you read your Bible where they bought the witnesses and said, say crucify him. And the whole crowd began to say, crucify him. Never has humanity committed a more grievous crime. They know not. They knew not it was the Lord of glory. Just, just think about that. They had no idea it was the Lord of glory. The Apostle Paul said, I was a blasphemer before and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it, did it ignorantly and unbelief. Some of you in here tonight are in unbelief, total unbelief. You're, you're totally ignorant. You have no idea where you came from, what you're doing here, or where you're going when you die. You're just ignorant, living life in ignorance. It's true, isn't it true? Those of us who have our eyes open now by the Spirit of God, we, we can see how crazy I was. Can you say that? How crazy I was. How, how blind. What on earth was I thinking? Oh, you sing it all about you. All about you. What a scene this is. His arms have already been stretched upon the cross of torture. His hands have been bound to the wood with ropes. They are now about to pierce his hands and feet with nails. Surely they have no idea what they're doing. Even the, even the two thieves from the cross said, we're up here justly. We, we deserve what we're getting. But this man on the middle cross, he's done nothing amiss. He's done nothing to deserve this. Think about the total injustice. When the old Puritans said they pierced the very hands from which only blessings flowed. They pierced his hands from which only blessings flowed. And the soldiers, think about the craziness of this scene. The soldiers are sitting nearby casting lots for his clothes. While he's being nailed to a, Can you even imagine the torture of being nailed to a cross? And then these rough German soldiers, Roman soldiers, are there having a little dice game to see who gets his clothes. People are looking on. The rulers are mocking. I thought about it this way. It's a scene like a lunatic who's just murdered his own mother and sits laughing and mocking as the blood flows from her wounded body. I mean, I know that's a little out there, but can you imagine the great creator, Jehovah God? Surely they know not what they do. You know, you and I needed a mediator, and that's what Christ is. He's, the, he's our mediator. He's the man between God and us. A heavenly mediator. You know, this is a religious age, and everybody believes in the book. I mean, if you're a conservative, uh, and if you've been around, uh, especially, I think, Protestant religion, we talk about the book, the blood, and the blessed hope. And, and it's, 
it, it's, I don't know, it's a form of godliness, I guess, with not much power. But everybody knows a little Bible. They talk about Christ, the cross, the blood, all of these things. But I'm confronting you tonight, and I'm saying to you tonight, this generation does not know, does not know the three critical, crucial, vital things to knowing God. They just don't. They do not know. They know the God of their preacher. I, I'm, I'm positive that you would say, well, our preacher preaches grace. I think you'd say that. You hear it enough. I think you would say that. But do you know God for yourself? The Apostle Paul, after 30 years of preaching in the book of Philippians, said, oh, that I might know him. You know, there's not a day that passes except I say that to the Lord. I want to know you deeper, stronger, more intimately. I want to know you. People say, uh, Columbus discovered America. Nah, America's still being discovered. There's things still being discovered about this land of ours. Just think how much further you've got to go in knowing God. Did you rejoice today in that God is your Savior and Redeemer and prayed for you on the tree of the cross? The God of their traditions, you know the Catholic tradition, the God of their mothers, the God of their customs, but they don't know the God of the Bible, the eternal, awesome, almighty, sovereign, omnipotent, unapproachable, incomprehensible, invisible God that dwells in light that no man can approach. Religious people are on a familiar plane with their God. And you can tell by the way they conduct their talk, their walk, they do not know the eternal God. They just don't. This religious crowd knows nothing of sin. They don't smoke, they don't Chew and don't run with girls that do. They're just, some of you, base your whole religion on things you don't do. And it's, and it's all a lie because you've done it in thought, word, or deed. It really is. I think about what, what a liar I have been for so many years in religion. Acting like I wasn't like all of us are. You ever think about that? You ever think about yourself in this light? What a big phony I am. I act like I am so right. But you're not. You're just like the rest of us. You're uh, in your There is no good thing. I'm looking at people in here have had and are having, still living in and with the most horrendous thoughts. And you're looking at a man just like you. But there is a difference because I'm a new man. There is a new man too here. You may, you may not see a lot of him, but really, I'm all right with God. I mean, God and I are all right, is what I'm saying. I, I, there is no sin for me. There is no condemnation. There is no judgment for me. And many of you, I, I thought about this uh, Maybe soon I'll talk about this on a Sunday morning. 
But you think about the condemnation most of us live with. You know why? Because we don't understand this so great salvation. Yeah, yeah, you are a stinking, no good for nothing, never better in your flesh. But on the other hand, God has born you again and you are a new creature. And that new you never sins. And that old you and that new you don't like each other at all. They don't like each other. The devil loves your flesh. He's always accusing you. What an awesome thing it is to say, you know on the cross Jesus prayed for me? He prayed that I would be forgiven. So I know I am. Because his prayer was truly answered. I have a mediator. I have a lawyer at the right hand of God. I have an intercessor. You think about this, this Christ, who in his earthly ministry, he said to Simon Peter, who was a lousy Christian, I don't know how he could be the first pope. I mean, I wouldn't claim, I wouldn't claim Simon Peter, Peter to be my pope. I just would he, he was cursing like a sailor when they arrested Jesus. Blank, 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 I never knew the man. And Jesus had told him, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And you know what? Peter, before that rooster crows, you will deny me three times. <laughs> Don't you know when that rooster crowed, that was a poor rooster crow. Cock-a-doodle-doo. But you know when that rooster crowed, do you, do you know that rooster really brought a great message? Don't you know Simon Peter's heart sunk? The man God had played for, the one that Christ had died for? I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. Isaiah 40 says this, All flesh is grass. Brother Barnard used to say, yours and your mamas and your good neighbors and your uncles and your aunties and your preachers and your deacons. And I thought I probably shouldn't say this tonight. Brother Barnard used to say, what's grass good for? Now, You may have some suggestions there to Brother Barnard, but this was back in the 50s, Barnard would say this. He said, anybody shave grass around here? And I thought to myself, they're going to say yes. <laughs> That's what the flesh is worth. It's just grass. It's a mess. Your glory, your goodness, your morality, your piety, all you have to brag on is like grass. Except this, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross, right? As you hear the seven sayings, and especially as we begin this first saying, Father, forgive them. What a display of redeeming love. What a display. What compassion is seen in this blessed Redeemer. When man had done his worst, and with wicked hands... The creature had dared to crucify the Lord of glory. Yet he covers the guilty heads 
of his murderers with the shield of his love in order to secure them from the storm of the deserved wrath of God. You know what you deserved and I deserved? The wrath of God. I deserved hell. And, and if you're, I know if you're a Christian in here, you can say, and you do say, that's true. Because all those little secrets that you have on the inside of what you've done. But what a glorious thing it is to know He's got them all covered. Amen? That He's got those sins covered by His blood. Do not impute to them this murderous crime that they've committed. Don't impute, don't charge it to them. Think about that. Christ desired the blessed of mercies for the worst of sinners. The old songwriter wrote, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? These were the very ones who had conspired to put him to death. Even as he prayed, they were taking away his innocent life. And some of them he had prayed for. And you know, I rejoiced again as I thought about it today that those people there who were taking his life, he prayed for some of them were the elect. And at some point, maybe, maybe before he died or, or after he died on the cross, maybe days before the resurrection, they came to know him. But I do know this. He prayed for them and they came to know him as Lord and Savior because he prayed for them. Can you imagine the perfect son of God when you were on the streets? When you were in the crack house, when you were shooting up, when you were in bed with your lovers, totally dishonoring the body that God had given you, Jesus Christ loved you. Isn't that amazing? And that he had prayed for you before you ever did all those things. He, he had already paid the price of all of your mess. All of your mess. And then wonder of wonders sent the hound of heaven. Finally brought you down to the end of your own way. And you ended up in a homeless center. Now here's what I hear from some of you. Or, or, or occasionally. And I understand this is the devil's ploy. You know, Pastor, I would, I would really like to get away from people, you know, saying things that I, I went to Grace Centers of Hope. Why? It's the greatest thing ever happened to you. You didn't get here by accident. You ought to say, and then God brought me a mighty long way. He took me out there off the streets, drunk or a skunk, shooting up, sleeping with everybody in town, and brought me to a homeless center. You know, when you're sleeping on the floor, you can't fall out of bed. It's a good place to be. God brought you, brought you. Just think, you could have died a thousand deaths out there. We used to have a saying around the guys. I don't know whether they still use it, but they, I would say to Eugene, who was here t 
30 years ago, I'd say to Eugene, how'd you make it out there? You hear, tuck and roll. He'd say, tuck and roll. <laughs> they still use that? Tuck and roll. I said, what do you mean by that? I mean, when they were shooting at me, I was tucking and rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and here you are in God's house. And here you are with a family. And here you are getting your children back. There ought to be hallelujahs rolling in this place every day. To the God of glory who has saved you by His precious blood and prayed for you on the tree of the cross. You know, these sayings from the cross are they're so wonderful. The second saying that we'll talk about here in a bit has always been a wonder to me. I've, I've preached from that text many, many times where the thief said, remember me. What? Remember me? I want you to think about this. What a miracle your conversion is. Here's two thieves. I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit in my preaching, but two thieves, both of them were thieves. They, they deserve to get what they're getting. And the one thief says to Jesus, if you're really who you say you are, come down off the cross and save us with you. And the other thief on the other side says, this man has done nothing amiss. We're here justly. We deserve to be here. Now, can you explain that to me? How did one thief be so self-centered while the other thief, who was just as guilty, said, Lord, Lord, wait a minute. You're, you're talking about this man on the center cross being your Lord, your king? Lord, remember me. How did that happen? You see, you're a miracle too. If you have said, Lord, I'm trusting you. If you send me to hell, I deserve to go to hell. But Lord, I'd be mighty happy if you'd just remember me. And what a miracle this is. And Jesus said, today, not tomorrow, not next year, right, right now, today. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. You understand you're paradise headed. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go home. But let's go home happy. And we have a Savior and a Redeemer and a Lord. People often say this to me. Well, we really like your church. We really, really, really like your message. And, you know, next year, maybe we'll come back and visit with you. Now, you know, all, all I'm saying to you is you get a steady diet of what I preach tonight. And that diet is going to continue till the Lord takes me out of here or we all go home. That is Christ in Him alone.